Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Go and grab your notes out of your Connect folder that you're handed on your way in to take notes. Uh, really helps. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. So when you write something down, it helps you to remember, it helps you to think about what's going on, it helps you to internalize it a little bit more. So what we're doing in this sermon series, uh, really, it's different for us. It's a departure from what we normally do. Uh, normally, we pick a topic and preach about it, or we pick a person to preach about, or a theme and preach about it. In my five years of being here at Community of Hope, which is crazy, I've been here five years, that's nuts, that's great, um, is that my, in my time here, we've never preached through an entire book of the Bible. Now, I don't know about the Bible that you read or the one that I read, but the one that I read does not say anywhere, thou shalt only preach topical sermon series. It says that you can do more than that. So what we're trying to do here is we're trying to uh, pick one book of the Bible and read it through from chapter one, verse one, all the way through from start to finish. And we're doing that together on a Sunday morning. One, because it's beneficial. Two, it's because that's how they were originally meant to be read in church. But also we want to teach you how to read the Bible for yourself the way it was written. And what do you know when you begin to learn to read an entire book of the Bible for you in your own time, in your own spiritual disciplines, it's transformative in ways you can't even anticipate. And when I began to do that in my life, everything changed for me. Everything changed for me. So we're jumping into this. Now, uh, we're into, like I said, we're going to work all the way through the book of Colossians. If you're new with us here today, we don't make the assumption that everybody knows stuff about the Bible. In fact, we make the assumption that most people might not know what's going on in the Bible, but they want to know and that they're curious. So here's the deal with Colossians. It was written by a man named, called the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this from prison in Rome in the early 60s A.D., and interestingly, the church in Colossae isn't a church that he planted. He didn't start this one. It was started by a guy named Epaphras. He heard that the church was struggling with clearly understanding who Jesus was, and they heard that they were starting to take on false, mixed-up views of who Jesus was from culture. They started to take on false ideas of who Jesus was from other religions, from astrology and even magic type of stuff then, and it was making Jesus less than what he claimed to be. And the Apostle Paul wanted to put a stop to this because actually what you believe about Jesus is so critically important. The most important question you will ever, ever answer in life is who is Jesus? And that's what Paul is trying to defend for us here now. Now, all that being said, we looked at last week what the core, what the crux, wake up, you there? <laughs> I don't know what that was. Anyway, the core and the crux of Colossians, if you read all the way from chapter one through chapter four, which by the way, if you want to go home and read this for yourself, it's not that big of a deal. I time myself, it'll take you, depending on how fast you are of a reader, 10 to 15 minutes at the most. You have 10 to 15 minutes. Two weekends ago, I streamed two seasons of Stranger Things. 
binge watched in a whole weekend, you have 15 minutes to read all of Colossians. You can do that. If you read the whole breadth of Colossians in 10 or 15 minutes, you understand that there's one central theme in the entire book. And it comes from our theme verse we're going to put up on the screen. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And this is expressed in many different ways across all four chapters. Let's read this out loud all together. Ready? Go. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So this is the deal of what Paul is talking about in Colossians. It's the idea of spiritual maturity, and to present everybody spiritually mature. He wants to present everyone mature in Christ. Now, not just everyone mature in Christ. What's the characteristic of that? Did you notice in the verse? It's not just mature. It's what? It's fully mature in Christ. What Paul is really trying to say here is that the goal of all spiritual leadership, the goal of the church, again, not necessarily a church like a building or a 501c3 nonprofit organization, but the the people, the movement of Jesus, the goal of that throughout all the world and through all time is not just to get as many people to come as possible, even though that's important, and it's never enough until everybody hears about the hope of Jesus Christ. But what the point is, like for, my, for me, my goal is to not just get as many people to come here as possible, even though I want as many people as possible to come. The point is to present as many people as fully mature as possible in Christ. Now, we measure maturity in all sorts of ways. We measure maturity uh, with how, let's say, we have have my son here. We have my niece here. We measure maturity by how people grow. My family did this with me and my brother with measuring how we grew as children. In fact, here's a picture of our family growing up. Look at these stud muffins right there. That is 1987-tastic, baby. Look at that. That's awesome. So I think my parents measured maturity for my brother and I by if we had to wear Coke bottle glasses or not, which ironically, those are in again. Have you noticed that around? Mainly if you go to a coffee shop and watch hipsters, that's where you'll find those huge glasses. So people measure maturity by all sorts of different stuff. We measure it by all sorts of different other ways in our lives, and we measure maturity spiritually by a couple things that we saw last week. So if you weren't with us, here's a quick recap of what we talked about last week. We measure maturity by our understanding of the word, the scriptures. We measure maturity by our service, and we measure maturity by our prayers, by our prayers. How do we measure those things? Well, it's simple. We measure maturity because the word guides our understanding, what we think, what we know. Our service shapes our character, and our prayers deepen our relationship. This is what we talked about last week. These three things all together, combined together, will help grow you to become fully mature in your spiritual journey, wherever you are on your spiritual journey toward God in Christ. And so this is what we're talking about all throughout the series is different aspects of what does it mean to be fully mature in Jesus. Now, today, we're going to look at 
a little bit more about this understanding piece. And today we're going to look at what do you understand about Jesus? And what does Paul try to say in this passage about Jesus and our understanding of him? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians. It's going to be on your notes. It's in the New Testament here. Uh, We help teach people how to um, read the Bible. So we have free Bibles in the back. A lot of the time we help people install a free app on their phone called YouVersion. Raise your hand if you've got a new YouVersion on your phone. Lots and lots of people. It's it's free. It's a great app. Uh, If you don't have that on your phone, come to the welcome desk after. We'll help you get it on your phone. So we're in Colossians chapter 1. Last week we ended on verse 14. So we're picking up on verse 15 here this morning. So here we go. This is Paul speaking here. He says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that we feel your presence in here today. Lord, I thank you that um, you're not the God that we have to beg to come be with us, In worship, you're already here. You were here in this room before any of us woke up this morning. You're you're ready and willing, and you're here. And so, Lord, in a lot of ways, we don't need to ask you to show up. You're waiting for us to show up. So, Lord, here we are. I ask that you would send the Holy Spirit fresh upon each one of us, and that you would soften our hearts. You would open our spiritual ears that we would hear what you have to say for us because none of us came here today to do dead religion, but we all came here with the hope that we would have an encounter with the living God of love. Hmm. Would you pour out your love on us in this place here today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So a little bit of heads up for today. Today, Um, it's going to get a little heady because Paul got a little heady with Colossians. I didn't pick this. Paul picked this. And since we're preaching through Colossians, I don't get to choose certain sections. So everyone put on your proverbial thinking caps. Okay, you with me? Great. Five people want to think with me today. Awesome. (laughs) 
I want you to put on your proverbial thinky caps. It's going to get a little heady. It's not going to be impractical. It is going to be very practical, but you got to follow along with some of Paul's arguments. So come along with me. That being said, let me ask you this question now. Um, people talk about a lot of times the difference between cooking and baking. Both are in the kitchen, both involve food, but they're very different. Are they not? They are. How many of you are more bakers in the room? Okay. All right. How many of you are more cooks? Great. How many of you just like to eat? Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, People talk about cooking versus baking is very, very different, not just because of the type of food that it produces, but the way that you have to go about it. See, with cooking, I've been told, see, I can kind of make my way around the kitchen, and then I can also kind of ruin everything. I was making dinner this week, and my wife put out literally every single ingredient for me. It's because she was trying to prevent you know, sure, disaster for dinner. Um, cooking versus baking. Cooking, you can fudge a little bit with ingredients. You can add a little bit of this. Ah, what would this taste like, right? You could do that. You could do that. Some people are like, no, I'm type A. I have to follow the recipe. And some people in here in this room are like, oh, whatever. We'll just see how it turns out, right? Right. With baking, however, you have to get specific. You have to be precise. If you're not precise with baking and you're not, if you're not specific with baking, it turns out not so great. How many of you have seen, uh, seen the show on Netflix called Nailed It? Have you seen that? Or have you seen those memes online? What it is is when a parent or somebody tries to bake something decorative and it ends up horrible. And so they sarcastically go, nailed it. <laughs> Let me show you a couple of these. Here's the first one I want to show you. Look at that. So on the left is supposed to be unicorn cake, and on the right looks like a unicorn who just got dumped by her boyfriend, has mascara running down her cheeks. (laughs) Nailed it, right? Okay, here's another one. This is a princess birthday cake. (laughs) I'm not sure if you heard yourselves. Let's, let's, Let's rewind on that. It went, oh, oh. It's almost like, uh, you know, somebody wanted a princess. Like, oh, I want a princess cake for my birthday. Instead, you get nightmares for your birthday. <laughs> Here's another one. This one's my favorite for sure. Okay, so the top is a little mermaid cake, and the bottom is Mommy Ariel's dead. Oh, <laughs> nailed it. Nailed it. Now, all that's funny. I'm just trying to show you that in some things in life, the specifics really matter. They really matter. If you don't pay attention to the specifics, it's going to get mangled a little bit. And this is what Paul is trying to do in this passage. He has um, high language. He's using the best of of Jewish thinking, where he pulls writings from Proverbs to talk about Jesus. He's using the best of Greek philosophy to talk about Jesus, almost in a cosmic sense in this passage. What he's really trying to do is to show the church at Colossians and us today that the specifics about Jesus really, really matter. And if you get some of the specifics wrong, you're going to get a mangled faith. The word, the highfalutin theological word that people talk about with this topic is this word here we're going to put on the screen. It's Christology. Christology. Write that down. Now, Christology... um, you might make sense of it if you just like Christ and ology. Like we have all sorts of other ologies. We have biology, right? Which is the study of living organisms. 
We pay a lot of attention down South Florida about meteorology, which is the study of atmosphere and weather patterns. Uh, I ran across a new ology I never heard of this week before. It's called pogonology. Have you ever heard of pogonology? It's not about pogo sticks. Okay, <laughs> pogonology, the study of facial hair and beards. <laughs> Boo. So what is Christology? What is Christology? All Christology is, is what you think about who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Who he is and what he does. That's Christology. And that's what Paul's doing here in this passage today. He's teaching and correcting bad Christology in the Colossian church. And this isn't just a homework exercise where the teacher puts a red pin on your homework sheet to say, you got this right, you got this wrong. No, 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 no. This really matters. Because remember what I just said a moment ago, there are some things in life where the specifics matter. If you don't pay attention to the specifics, you're going to get a mangled experience. If you don't pay attention to the specifics of Christology, you will have a mangled faith. You have a mangled faith. So let's explore this a little bit, what Paul's talking about. Let's dissect this passage. First, part of Christology is who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. So let's return to our verses. First, or Colossians 1, 15 through 19. The Son is the image of the invisible God. So the Son, they're talking about Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, So what they're saying here is that Jesus somehow, as the Son of God, existed before creation, before anything else was made. Not that he was the first thing that was made. He existed before anything was made. In him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. It's almost like saying that this part of the Godhead, the Son, is God himself along with God the Father. He goes on to say he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is divine language, talking about God. It says he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, which he's talking about there, that not only is this person cosmically existing as God, but he was a person who died on a Roman cross, and not only did he die, Christians believe that he was actually, physically, literally raised from the dead, the firstborn among the dead, so in everything he might have the supremacy. And then here's this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. What this is talking about is the ancient core Christian truth that followers of Jesus really believe that Jesus of Nazareth was fully human and he was fully God. 100% human, 100% God, all at the exact same time. Now, if you are somebody who's new to church or maybe you've been here for the first time in a long time or maybe it's the first time ever, if somebody just walks up to you and says, I believe a human being is God in human flesh, It sounds like crazy pill talk. Can we just acknowledge that in the room? It's okay for that initial reaction to be like, what? You're saying a person is God? See, if you just try to take from top down the thoughts of Jesus is God, that argument almost no one accepts. 
because it does sound crazy. But Christians believe this logically. They start from the bottom up. They see Jesus' moral teachings, which there has been no other moral teacher on the face of the planet whose teachings have impacted human societies and the human race more than any other person other than Jesus of Nazareth. Even people who reject Christianity love Jesus for his teachings. I know plenty of people who go, Christianity, ugh. The church, ugh. But I like Jesus. You ever heard anybody else say that? He's universally respected. He was a wonderful moral teacher who happened to be a homeless Jewish rabbi. Do you know of any other homeless itinerant people who have moral teachings that change the course of human history? I don't. He was a wonderful moral teacher, but he also was claimed to be a faith healer who seemed to have supernatural power come out of him and change him or change all sorts of people into bringing healing and deliverance to people. Many people, all, all people, historians, philosophers, everybody agreed that this person, Jesus of Nazareth, really existed, that he really lived, and he really was crucified on a Roman cross. He was really executed by the Roman government under the rule of Pontius Pilate around the year 33 AD. And against all odds, when none of his followers expected him to actually raise from the dead, he did. And all 12 of his earliest followers who all abandoned him, who all ran away, who were all cowards, all of a sudden were lions for the message of Jesus. They said, we don't care what you do to us. You could kill us, martyr us, exile us. We can't deny we've seen him, touched him, ate breakfast with him. You killed him, but he's alive and we can't deny it anymore. And they carried this message of this Jewish rabbi who claimed he was God into the whole world because these earliest followers of Jesus looked at an empty tomb and said, it's crazy for anybody to claim they were God except for if you call your own death and your own resurrection and then you pull it off. I might listen to that person. This is why Christians go, yeah, God in human flesh. Not only because he said it, not only because of his moral teachings, not only because of his miracles, but because of an empty tomb that vindicates his claims. That when you see Jesus, you see God. Theologian T.F. Torrance wrote this, God is indeed really like Jesus. And there is no unknown God behind the back of Jesus for us to fear. To see the Lord Jesus is to see the very face of God. This is powerful stuff. Now, in the first mm, two, three hundred years in the history of the Jesus movement, people came by and started messing with the specifics. Sometimes they would mess with, well, maybe he's not actually really God. And sometimes they would mess with, well, maybe he was really God, but he actually wasn't really human. And when you mess with those two things, you get mangled faith. The church calls it heresy. Not because it's just somebody disagrees with you and it's heresy. But when you mess with who Jesus is, you're going to mess up people and their faith. 
all the earliest heresies in the first couple hundred years of the church denied one aspect of the other about him being God or him being human. Sometimes they would deny that he's not really human. Okay, well, maybe he was human, but he didn't actually have a body. And sometimes they deny that he was God. Okay, maybe he was divine, but he's not actually from all eternity. He's not God. Well, maybe, maybe he's divine, but he's not one with the Father. Maybe they're separate. They're not actually together. Well, maybe really it's just one God who just puts on different masks and he's just the same old time. They're not actually separate. It's not three and one. It's just really one. They would just deny, deny, deny these different pieces. And it messes with all of this stuff. And here's what I'm trying to tell you guys. This is all really important. And we're going to get to this. If you don't understand really who Jesus is, you will misunderstand what he does. Let me say that clearly one more time. It's not going to be on the screen, but I just want you to catch it. If you don't understand who Jesus is, you will misunderstand what Jesus does. But if you do understand who he really is, you can receive what he's done for you. So let's talk about what has Jesus done? What has he done? Verses 20 through 22. For God was pleased to have all his foes dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, but making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Wow. Now, I'm a visual person. And so um, I like to think sometimes it's better to show people stuff rather than tell people stuff. So can I draw for you what Paul just said? Good. Well, I'm going to anyway. I don't care if you agree or not. Okay. And so if you're over here and you can't see, you can look on the screens. We thought about this for everybody. Okay. So let's say we have humanity. I'm going to draw a stick figure here, and I'm a way better drawer than Dale. So there we go. So we have humanity. This is you. This is us. And over here, we have God. And we were created to have a perfect relationship with God. To be perfectly, intimately close with him. To be known by him and to know him. For him to be your very best friend. You are made by him and you are made to eternally enjoy God and for God to enjoy you. You're made that way. Now we talked about this in our long story story short series. Say that five times fast. Where there's this thing that came in the world called sin. And what sin did is it broke our relationship with God and created a chasm, created distance. Paul uses the word alienated from God. If any of you know the pain of a broken relationship, you know how much being alienated from somebody hurts who you love. And so we've all been alienated from God because of sin. 
And no matter any type of human effort that people have when they try to reach God, maybe through living a good moral life or trying to be a good person or trying to do enough things or trying to avoid enough of the bad things, and maybe I could tip the scale enough, Scripture is very clear. All of those efforts all just fall short. None of them can reconcile us and get us back into a relationship with God. None of it does because the requirement to be in relationship with God is sinless perfection. And each and every single one of us has made sin and made mistakes in our life, things that we've done, things that we have not done, things we've thought, things we've said, things we've done. They've created separation between you and God. And there's no hope for any person ever to get back connected in a relationship with God until God sent his son. Jesus. See, this is why it really matters. Jesus, fully God, fully human. Only somebody who could represent both sides in a split could stand in the middle. Only somebody who is a mediator for both sides is the one who can make peace. Only somebody who represents both sides of this chasm can bring connection and reconciliation once again. So Jesus, who is fully God, who never sinned, who lived a sinless, perfect life, could stand in the middle, can bring God to us, and can bring us to God as a human representative, and he does it by his cross. And it's like a bridge that we can walk across to be reunited to God. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Now, here's why what you think about Jesus really matters. This is the greatest deal ever made. And what you decide to do with what Jesus has done for you, how you decide to respond to what Jesus has done for you is the most important decision you're ever going to make in your entire life. And it's the greatest opportunity ever given to any person ever. But the problem with this is that if Jesus isn't fully human then that means he can't die in your place for your sins on the cross if he's not fully human. And if he's not fully God, then that means he's not perfect enough to stand in the middle to redeem you for you and your sins. Do you see what I mean? If he's not fully God and if he's not fully human, then your opportunity to be made right with God has completely disappeared. This is why this really, really matters. Now, let me say here. If it's true that Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully human and that he did come to bridge the great divide as the mediator between us and God, if it's true, then that means God has reached into your life, into my life, to reconnect with you and to bring you home to him. Amen. 
And if it's true that he's fully God and fully human and came in the middle, then that means that you can actually be forgiven for your sins. That means that any of you in here who need a fresh start, who need a redo on life, you get that, a clean beginning in Jesus. That means any of you who walked in here with ways where you have broken your life through sin or maybe it was somebody else's sin that came and broke you and broke your heart, if that's true, that means Jesus has come to mend your life and bring healing to your heart and to your life. And if it's true, that means Jesus has purpose and belonging in your life where you can now live for something greater than just whatever purpose you might have filled in the gaps. And if it's true, that means that death is not the end. And it means that we now have eternal life with God forevermore. And whatever fear of death you may have brought in here in this room, and whatever diagnosis you may have brought in here on this room, and whatever struggle with disease you may have brought in here in this room, you follow one who has died and walked out of an empty tomb. And you don't have to fear death anymore. If it's true that he's God and human all at the same time, this matters. Now, you have to ask yourself, here's what we're going to say just in closing. What do you do to respond to this? How do you respond? Well, I mean, the first thing that people think is, well, be reconciled to God. Walk across the bridge. Say yes to Jesus. That's great. But Paul says something different that in America, we need to hear right now. And thank you, Ben, for coming out. You guys can get ready. Don't play anything just yet. This is very serious. Okay. <laughs> it's not just, just say yes to Jesus and raise your hand to church. Paul says this in verse 23. If I can find it. There we go. If... If you continue in your faith, if you stay established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and earth of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Followers of Jesus in America in a microwave society when to be generous just means you give a dollar at Publix and look, I saved the world. Followers of Jesus in America need to hear this. That Jesus being fully God and fully human, you saying yes to being reconciled to God is not just a one-time decision. It's a journey that you have to endure in, that you have to press forward in, that you can't give up on. You've got to keep going. Because remember what Paul said at the beginning of our message. It's not just to present people to Christ or people mature to Christ, it's people, what? Fully mature to Christ. We have a saying around here that, yes, Jesus has saved me, and I am being saved every single day. It's instant, and it's gradual all at the same time. So maybe my question for those of you who have already begun, fought, became followers of Jesus is this. Maybe you've said yes, but each day are you walking closer to God? Or are you, as Paul said, you're letting your hope drift you from the one real hope 
that's out there today. You're either doing one of two things. You're drawing closer to God or you're drifting away from God. You can draw closer through the man, God, Jesus Christ. Don't let your hope drift. Continue, endure, persevere, become fully mature. Now, I would be very remiss if we talked about this message of how Jesus has bridged the great divide and I didn't give an opportunity to anybody who's never said yes to actually beginning this journey to do that and to say yes to becoming a follower of Jesus. So now, now you guys can play a little bit. <laughs> Would you bow your heads with me? And so uh, for those of us who are already followers of Jesus, the message today is what you believe about Jesus matters and understand what he's done for you and continue in it and don't give up. But for those of us, we've yet, yet to say yes to Jesus and yet to say yes to becoming a follower of his. And so uh, some of you, are probably feeling God tugging your heart to do that right now and saying, this is the moment. You've been hanging around this. You've been resisting me, but now's the moment. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you do anything, but I want you to pray silently with me. If that's you, pray this in your heart. Dear God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you for Jesus. I believe he's your son. I believe he's God in human flesh. I confess to you my sin, the things I've done that have broken my relationship with you and how I've broken my relationship with others. I need you. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I want to follow you for all my days. Come now, live in my heart by faith, and I will follow you for all the days of my life. Make me new. Make me born again, right now, in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Hey, can we applaud those who might have said that prayer for the first time today? Here's what we're going to do. The band's going to lead us in worship. This is a moment of reflection now. Wherever your response is, take time to seek God. We have prayer team up here at the front who will be willing to pray with you about anything. Let's pray. Let's seek God. Friends, I want to remind you that we have prayer team up here at both sides, so come this way before you go that way to go come get some prayer. But otherwise, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are the one we proclaim, fully God, fully human admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that, Lord, we may present everyone fully mature in you. Help us to do so. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next weekend.